0: Okay, we are continuing in our Mashiach series, learning the laws of Mashiach and Yomais Mashiach directly from Rambam, which is learning it out of the final halachic authority. And therefore, what we are learning now is the basis of our emuna in Mashiach. And just to reiterate, at least one nukuda, one point, which is when a person says, oh, we believe in Mashiach, what does that mean? What does it mean, I believe in Mashiach? So there are some of the imaginations that we have that are not halachic grounded. And therefore, who says that we are to believe in that? And on the other hand, the, the details that are brought out in the Rambam, this is part of our emuna. So the importance of learning Hilchais, Melachim, in the Rambam, cannot be, cannot be understated. Because what we are really saying is that if a person doesn't know the details that are, are going to happen as the Rambam writes, then they are lacking in their emunah in Mashiach. Even though they believe in the word Mashiach, and some of what they believe in is taka part of halacha, but they're missing details. That's, a, that's intro number one. Intro, just to repeat another introduction, that there are two parts of believing in Mashiach. There is believing in a person that will be our redeemer, believing in the rising of Melach HaMashiach that is addressed in the Rambam in the 11th chapter. And then there is another detail of it overlaps but it's not the same and that is the belie- the belief in the era of the Mashiach or in the messianic era, believing in the Yemois HaMashiach. When it comes to the belief in the person Mashiach we learned a couple of very important points that people might not be aware before learning it. That we are believing that there's going to be a king, like we described. We believe in that which the king is going to establish. He's going to re- re- resurrect. He's going to bring back to life the Davidic dynasty. That Mashiach. believing in Mashiach means believing that this person is going to build a Beis HaMikdash. Believing in Mashiach means believing that this person is going to gather all the Jews after he brings Mashiach. These are the steps that we spoke out in Ambam. As far as when we imagine the king himself, the halachic basics for Mashiach is not that he must be, at least not initially, a prophet. No, he must be, like we mentioned, someone who is observant, someone who learns Torah, someone who sees to it, who makes the effort for other Jews to learn Torah and to be observant. And he will succeed in getting all of the Jews in being observant. And ultimately, Mashiach is a person who will get all of the goyim to keep their Sheva Mitzvahs v'nei noach. So that's that's what that's what it must mean halachically. That I believe in Mashiach. I believe in everything that I just mentioned. That there's going to be a king, and he's going to restore the Divinic dynasty. And I believe that he's going to build a temple. And I believe that he's going to gather all the Jews to Israel. We're speaking basic halacha, and that process will involve him getting. All the Jews to learn Titan, all the Jews to keep all the mitzvahs and all the nations of the world, all of the Gaim to keep the seven Noahide laws because God commanded them to keep it. Okay. Now, that was all in the past. We already learned one class in the 12th chapter in the Rambam. So now we are learning the laws of the Messianic era. And adding to what we did not discuss yet is that the Rambam in part, makes a corollary. He makes a certain uniformity between Messianic era and Moshiach himself. And what am I referring to? A couple of classes ago, we pointed out the following contradiction. That the Nambam writes in Hilchas Malachim, that Moshiach himself doesn't have to be a prophet. There's no need for him to be a prophet. Actually, the prototype of a potential Moshiach was Bar Kochba, Bar Kochba was a person that lived that his. He ascended to power in year one thirty two in the common era. He was a observant Jew. He wasn't a tzaddik in the Hasidic understanding of a tzaddik. He was a good Jew. He kept the mitzvahs to the best of his ability, like all the good Jews today. He was not perfect. He was outset to build the base of He made a rebellion against the Romans, and the Ramam uses him. That's an example that Moshiach doesn't have to be a prophet. Mashiach doesn't have to be a miracle worker. And then the Ramam added very strong words, that whoever imagines Mashiach as someone who has to be a miracle worker is a heretic. As we learned, he's adding to the mitzvahs. There is a mitzvah to believe in Mashiach. It does not include believing that he must be a miracle worker. So if someone imagines Mashiach as someone who must be someone who has extraordinary powers, this is lahavdul, the goyish belief in a Mashiach, and that person halachically is a heretic. So says the Rambam. And what we pointed out is that the Rambam in Hilchas Shuva speaks about Mashiach being a teacher, speaking about Mashiach bringing into the world what we call a Torah Khadasha, a whole new level of understanding the Torah. Mashiach will only be able to do so because Mashiach will be a prophet. And the Rambam writes that Mashiach will be almost as great as Moses, as Moshe Rabbeinu in his level of prophecy. So, doesn't that contradict what we learned that Mashiach doesn't need to be a prophet? So, we spoke out that Ebbe's important yesoid foundation, which is that there's going to be two phases within Mashiach. That even if in the initial phase, in the initial time, Mashiach will be your average good religious Jew, doesn't have to be a tzaddik, doesn't have to be a prophet. Just like all of us grow, hopefully for the better. As Mashiach begins to do that which Mashiach needs to do, he will grow as a person, as a Yid. And he himself will elevate himself. And he will, at a certain point, reach a level of being a prophet. And not stand a prophet, he will ultimately be a prophet, almost as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. And Hashem then will communicate to Moshiach. And Moshiach is going to teach us a level of Torah that is so awesome that in comparison, we're going to consider Moshiach's Torah like a new title That's how that's how much it's going to be exponentially greater than the trader that we have right now. So just like by Moshiach, there are different phases. The same thing is with Yomois Mashiach, As we'll learn now in today's chapter, that Yomois HaMoshiach, the Messianic era, isn't are we in the Messianic era or not? It's a phased process. There are the earlier times of the Messianic era, and then there's going to be a later time of the Messianic era. That will really illuminate a lot of what we're learning, a lot of what we're learning, and then to make one more corollary, one more one more uniformity between Moshiach and the era of Moshiach, and Yomais Moshiach. And that's something also that we repeated and we spoke it out and let's repeat it again. And if we repeated it, it's good to repeat it even a third time and then a fourth time. All of this is from the teachings of the Rebbe. That when we say that there is Mashiach, how Mashiach will be in the beginning. And then eventually Mashiach will grow from being a king to being a Rebbe. It doesn't mean that it has to be a prolonged process. It means that in the worst case scenario, the bare minimum is that it's going to be a prolonged process. The bare minimum is, is that Moshiach is going to be a king and only later he'll be a prophet. But there's always the possibility that if we merit, all of the things that Moshiach will evolve into later will happen much earlier. It's even possible that from the beginning Moshiach will be a prophet. It's possible. That Amman doesn't say that it's something that we don't allow that possibility to be. All that Amman is saying is that if a person imagines Mashiach means a prophet, that's heresy. It's heresy. You're not allowed to believe in that. Mashiach is Melach HaMoshiach. And we, we spoke out already in this year, a few times over, what his job is. That is what we believe in. Now, if we, the generation, will merit, then Moshiach from the beginning will already be on the level of being a prophet close to Moshe Rabbeinu. And the same says that Rebbe, is as as we're going to unpackage the twelfth chapter in Rambam, and indeed we will see that there are two there are two general phases in the Messianic era, and as we will see that the earlier phase won't will not be a miraculous phase, but the later phase will certainly be a miraculous phase. And let me give you one example. According to Rambam, the resurrection. Is going to happen in Yomay Ain't Ainlocha, greater miracle than the resurrection. I mean, it's a Yid that lived, a person that lived almost six thousand years ago. Can you imagine? Person that was buried then, that they are going to come back to life. That's that's miraculous. Yet, that Amam is going to write as we'll read right now that the messianic era will not be a miraculous era. Elomah. At a later phase, the Messianic era will evolve into a miraculous era. So the Rebbe says that also if we merit, it could be that from the beginning the Messianic era will be a miraculous era. So these are very important um, premises. They're very important settings through which we will better appreciate everything we'll be learning in Nambam. So again, we're learning now, my friends. We're going to Nambam Hilchus Melachim. We are going to the 12th chapter. We already learned the first halacha. I'll quickly repeat it. The Rambam in the first halacha quotes various psukim in Nach that that picture some sort of miraculous type of world where the example given there is that wild animals will live at peace with uh, domesticated animals. And the Rambam, who's going to clearly say, as we'll start today in the halacha base, that the messianic era need not be a miraculous era, says that these verses don't necessarily have to be taken literally. Because according to the Rambam, when I believe in Mashiach, and part of that is I believe in the Messianic era, the minimum, we might not merit miracles right away in the outset. So I cannot be told to believe in something that might not happen. Whether it will happen or not, that's up to our behavior. Our behavior is never legislated. In other words, God tells us what we should do. But if indeed we will do it or not, that's up to our freedom of choice. So any type of eventuality that depends on man's choice cannot be written into a halacha. Halacha is a fact. This is, this is, this was, and this will be. Mashiach is coming is a fact. Whether, God forbid, no one will merit or not, Mashiach is coming. And Mashiach is going to do exactly what the Imam wrote in the previous chapter. That minimal minimally has to happen. It could be if we merit if we make the right choices in Golos, then it's going to be even more glorious. The same thing with Shemois HaMoshiach. So that's why the Rambam writes that these verses don't necessarily mean the way they are written literally. We're not speaking about Psukim in Chumash. Chumash always is to be taken literally. We're quoting all of the verses that we have in Nach. And either, either we'll merit, and if we merit, they're going to be taken literally. The lion is going to live with the lamb. Because yeah, ultimately, at the end, there will be no violence in the world whatsoever, whatsoever. However, if we will not merit minimally, then the Imam writes that these verses is an allegory to the nations of the world that are compared to wild animals, and we are the domesticated lamb, and up until the coming of Mashiach, tragically, they took advantage of us, and we were abused by the Goyim, and from the times of Yomais Mashiach, they'll stop bothering us, they'll let us be. And that's the meaning that the wolf Or this animal or that wild animal will will lay at peace with the Jewish people. That's where we're up to, my friends. Any questions? Okay. So now, just like the Ramam in the previous chapter gave us the bare minimum of what Moshiach will do, now we're going to start learning the bare minimum steps that will happen either in the beginning of Yom Ha'as or a moment before Yom Ha'as Guys, there is nothing more fascinating than these halachas. Amazing. And now that I learned them, or review them, it's almost tragic that people don't learn this enough. Because there are so many midrashim, and there are so many gemaras, And you know, when it comes to Torah, we say that everything in Torah is emes. But not everything is going to be emes in this physical world. Many things are emes on some spiritual sense. Rambam is halacha. So what we're learning now is the minimum what's going to happen in this physical world. And it's amazing to see details that the Rambam describes that will for sure happen in connection with Yomoy Sam So 12th chapter, 2nd halacham, says that Rambam, Omru Chachamim, Sages say, say Ein bein that the only difference between the world that we live now in Gaulus. And Yemois HaMashiach, the messianic era, is Elo, Shibud, Malchius, Bulvat. The difference will be not that there's going to be some sort of a miraculous type of world. No. Like we mentioned, not. It doesn't have to be that way in the beginning. What has to be in the beginning is Shibud Malchius. Shibud Malchius means the nations are dominating the Jewish people. The nations dominating the Jewish people means that we are not an independent people. And my friends, as much as we are grateful to the fact that a Jew from our generation can go live in Eretz Yisrael, we are certain no one can say that Eretz Yisrael is an independent nation. Of course it's not. Of course there are many things that it cannot do. Even aside of the tragedy that the leadership is not yet religious, aside of that. But the Lamashal, the fact that a Jew is not allowed to build a shul on Harabayas. We are barely allowed to go up there in Davin. I'm not speaking about whether we can go there halachically. That's another topic. But the fact that the government of Israel has no power, it can say whatever it wants to say. It doesn't have the koyach to uh, exert Yiddish rulership over the land of Israel. It doesn't have that koyach. It's subject to many things. It's subject to the goyim who don't want to see that happen. It's subject to the fact, I mean, part of Golos is, is that the Jew themselves, the leadership in Eretz Yisrael now, they don't even believe that, they don't see the point of us having the right of going to Harabais. It's not important for them, and it's going to cause a tremendous chaos because you have billions of Muslims that will be against that, at least as of now. But we don't have freedom. We don't have freedom. Which which, which no, so now there's still shibud malchus. We're not a real independent nation. When Mashiach will come, we will become an independent nation, and that will be the beginning of the Yemois HaMashiach. Says the Rambam that Yerohem ibshutem shaldivrei hanavim It seems when you read the simple understanding of many words of the prophets, that during the earlier stages in the Yemois HaMashiach era. There's going to be a war that we will refer to that war as Goigo Magig. I want to stop over here. The Rebbe many times said that the wars, the wars of Goigo Magig already happened. So first of all, I want to put the Rebbe's words in context. This is extremely important. When the Rebbe spoke in Fabrengens, the Rebbe generally was not giving halachic talks. Not. There are many statements that the Rebbe makes in the Fabrengen that are not halachically, uh, they were not meant to be a halachic ruling as the Rebbe himself said in the earlier years. I'll give you, I'll give you an example, one example. There's a big halachic question whether the blessing, the bracha before halal, is made whenever halal is not recited as the full halal. For example, on Rosh Chodesh. On Rosh Chodesh, we read what we call the half halal, the part halal. The Alter Rebbe Paskins in Shulchan Aruch, that if you're davening with a minyan, only the chazan should make the first and final bracha, and everyone else should answer amin. If you're davening by yourself, then everyone should make their own bracha. During a Fabrengen, the Rebbe says that everyone should always make their own bracha. Many people erroneously said, Ah, the Rebbe Gzak in a Fabrengen, not the way the Alter Rebbe Paskins. This is not the only case. And that was a foolish statement. Because in a a ruach of a fabrengin beruch when you say that every yid should always make a bracha, doesn't mean that the Rebbe was giving a halachic ruling, as the Rebbe himself said many times, not regarding this, but regarding statements that he made during a fabrengin. that during the week people asked the Rebbe, does that mean that we should change the way we observe this or that or the other? Oh, the Rebbe said no, the Rebbe says ask a rav. The Rebbe wasn't speaking as a halachic decisor. So the same thing when it comes to many statements regarding goy gumogig. I think it's important for us to begin from the beginning. Obviously, obviously, I'll say this again, that if we will merit, and the ever says that we merit, and, 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 and God willing it's going to manifest that way, then many of these things actually will happen in a way that it won't be at all uh, the way we imagine it to be. But before we go into that, that Ambam is saying that in the beginning of Yomay Sameshich there's going to be let's read a war known as the War of Goygo Magreg. Now, this War of Goygo Magig is basically a war where the nations of the world will wage a war against the Jewish people, and particularly against Yerushalayim. And it's going to be in that war that the nations of the world will have a tremendous downfall. We, the Jewish people, will have a tremendous victory. That will be one thing that's going to happen in the beginning of the Messianic era. Furthermore, says the Rambam, before this war of Gog listen mogig listen, a prophet will get up. Now we already learned in the last chapter this is not Mashiach. This is a prophet. Mashiach doesn't have to be a prophet. Here we'll have a prophet. And what will he do? Liyasher Yisrael, he's going to straighten us out. And he's going to prepare our hearts. And this is the meaning of what it says. It's not Eliyahu, just for the record. Here in the verse it's written Eliyahu Hanavi. In other words, there's going to be a prophet, whether this is going to be Eliyahu Hanavi or a prophet Eliyahu. And what he will do is, he's going to do two things. He's going to straighten us out and he's going to prepare our hearts. And the Ramam describes what that means. It's amazing. Details. The a no ba loy le tamei hatoyr, the loy le tayr atamei, the loy lives on anoshem she mecheskas kashrus, the loy lahachshir mi shehuksuk elo losum shalom ba olam says and I'm like this. Now let me just take a quick step back. One of the very important parts of Jew of Yiddishkeit is genealogical purity. Genealogical purity begins with that we are prohibited to intermarry with Goyim. Not only that is a Jew commanded to marry a Jew, but it's halachically always extremely important to know when there's a child coming into the world, who the father is and who the mother is for many halachic reasons. One of the reasons why today, even when people, God forbid, are challenged with having a hard time conceiving, and Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of technology. The vital importance for us to share with people that we know, that are thinking about doing IVF treatments and all other types of advanced technological treatments, that aside of going to a degre- the best doctor that they can do, that they're obligated to consult with the Rav. That's because all of these things touch upon the genealogical purity of the Jewish people. As it comes out, not enough, but in the news here from Los Angeles, that in one of these, one of the greatest IVF clinics, for some mishugas, one of the doctors running the clinic used his biological um, substance to impregnate thousands of women. Which means that a woman who went to this clinic to get pregnant, with the assumption that they're going to use what comes from the man to insert it in what comes from the woman, he didn't actually go through with that. The man donated his biological stuff, but the doctor gave his own. He's sitting in jail now. In other words, it's important for us to know who is the father and who is the mother. Not, all. if the mother is Jewish, the kid is Jewish. Well, first of all, yeah yeah, to a certain degree to a very basic degree, but that's not enough information. Really the Mishnah says that there are ten levels of genealogical purity. Ten levels. Koyen Levi Israel. But a Yisrael that's kosher, that means that the father and the mother are Jewish, the father and the mother were allowed to marry each other. There was no violation that was broken in order for the child to be conceived. And then imagine there are seven other types of levels, one above the other or one below the other, each one being less pure than the other, with many halachic consequences. Now when we built the second base Mikdash, one of the functions of Ezra, the counter, Ezra Hasoifer the one that ultimately put together the Tanakh, was to make sure that all of the Jews that are staying in Babylonia should have perfect genealogical pedigree. Because the Jews, that there was a question mark on their kashras of who they are, who they came from, this is something that, this is a halachic topic, and it may take a long time to resolve. And he didn't want to leave any question marks in Babel. So it's interesting that he took with him the Jews who needed to have a more thorough halachic investigation to determine exactly what they are. Only the Jews that had no question mark at all on their yichus were the Jews that, that remained in Babel. Which means that Jews that remained in Babel had a more purer genealogy than the Jews that were not at Yisroh. Something similar is going to happen in the Yemois HaMoshiach. This is not Moshiach's job. This is the job of this prophet. That the, What he will have to do is he's going to have to determine the genealogical status of all the Jewish people. Now the Rebbe, in many sikhs proving from the words in the Rambam, makes clear that at this early stage, the prophet is not going to be doing it based on prophecy. That's going to happen later. The prophet is going to be in charge of this endeavor, but it will be done as per halachic guidance. My friends, a lot of this is happening right now. I'll give you an example, especially when the Rebbe opened up Chabad houses all over the world. And the Rebbe finally, not finally, the Rebbe, the Yidin were finally inspired by the Rebbe's uh, trailblazing, that the concept of reaching out and trying to be in touch with every single Jew became the norm mainstream Yiddishkeit. So unlike how it was 20 or 30, for sure, 40 years ago, that if people were not from, they never did a real from a marriage. They sadly went to a reform rabbi, if they went to a rabbi at all, who bchal was not adhering to any halachis, who married God for al letzlan Jews and goyim. He had he couldn't minimally care whether the person who, is, who said that I am a Jew, whether that person is really a Jew or not. Now that thank God this is it took, it took many 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 years. I remember in the earlier years where even people that that were in the kid of world they never wanted to make a kosher wedding. They used to say that if the couple that's getting married is not observant, don't give them a kosher wedding. Let them go to the Reform rabbi. Why were they saying that? And some of them, sadly, few of them say that now. They say that if they're not frum, so what benefit will there be for an Orthodox rabbi to marry them? If a frum rabbi marries them, then they'll be halachically married. What's going to happen if in one year or if in 20 years or if in 50 years they're going to get divorced if they're not observant? then who says they're going to go to an Orthodox basin to get a get? They probably won't. They'll go to whatever, if they'll go at all. Which means that their get won't be valid. Which means halachically, since they got a halachic marriage, the woman is a married woman. Which means that if she's going to get married again, her children are going to be halachic bastards. Mamzeidim. And it's the end of the world to to add, to increase mamzeidim amongst the Jewish people. So this was the argument of the charedim against the Rebbe, against the shluchim, that we make an effort to have everyone undergo a halachic chuppah and kedushin, even people that are not yet from. I'm just giving you... Now, obviously, there is a point here. A rabbi who marries a couple has an achrayis, a responsibility, to make sure that if they get divorced, they do so al pidin, with a kosher get. But putting that aside, the advantage of marrying a person under the, under an orthodox chupah and it's good for you guys to know this, is that when a couple comes to a rabbi and he, and he says that I want you to marry me, the rabbi is obligated to make a halachic inquiry into the genealogical purity of the couple in front of him. When I say genealogical purity, there are many levels to it. Like I mean, there are 10 levels. But to a certain point, he has to make such a thorough investigation. So when a person comes to a shul and they say, I'm Jewish, you accept them as Jewish. And you can know them for 10 years. And they can be eating glad kosher, Hasidic shchita. When you marry them, if you don't know their parents, and you don't know that their parents was married by a frumerov, it's not so simple to marry them. And we're getting better at it. But there's a certain halachic procedure that everyone has to undergo to determine whether they are Jewish or not. Now there are many details that we're not doing yet. The Navi that the Ramam is speaking about, this is part of the Yemois Mashiach. He's going to make a much more thorough investigation to determine whether the person is a Kayan, Levi Yisrael. And let's speak about the basics whether there's mamzerus, may, may, there are other, the other sorts of blemishes, including if at some point up a non Jew married a Jewish woman. Yes, by the basic halachic standard, that child is a Jewish child, but there are many halachic issues over here. I'm giving you just one. If such a child is a girl, is a woman, a coin is not allowed to marry her before the fact. A coin is not allowed to marry a woman whose mother is Jewish if her father is not Jewish. Ah, If the koin already married her, then they stay married. Then halacha doesn't demand them of getting divorced. But they're not allowed to get married from the outset, if you know that information beforehand. And many, 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 many other halachas that people are not yet that familiar with. So the first step of Yemaisa Mashiach is going to be a halachic process, which will be led by a Navi, who the Adam is calling Eliyahu. Maybe it's Eliyahu, maybe Eliyahu. And this prophet is going to start to determine the the kashrus of every single Jew. But the Rebbe Enf... Is that- topics and I use modern science like DNA testing to determine that? That's a very good question. Very, very good question. So you have to appreciate that the Rebbe's genius in interpreting the Rambam, based on the Rambam himself, is to underline that whatever he'll do, it will be a halachic process. Why am I saying that in response to your question? You're asking a halachic question. Are we allowed to rely on DNA to determine whether someone is Jewish or not? That's a good halachic question. The great halachic decisors of our generation are constantly debating it. They are in touch in Israel with the greatest uh, genealogical researchers. I heard a great class not more than a year ago, having the greatest expert in Israel with one of the biggest Rabbanim speak about it. And as of yet, that technology is not foolproof enough to determine whether someone absolutely is a Jew or not. Because it gives you a certain percent of which which um, which um, geom is is in your body, but there's a certain percent of not Jewish. Now, does that determine that the person is not Jewish? Absolutely not. But we don't know if it came from the mother's 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 mother. Then we got then we got ourselves a problem. So as of now, Yafa, the answer is no. We rely on it. We rely on um ancestry. Only for certain parts of Jewish law. I'll give you an example. There is a a part of Jewish law that speaks about inheritance. Inheritance. The laws of Yerusha is is that a father bequeaths to his children. A mother actually bequeaths to her husband. I'm not going to get into all the details here. We have a very elaborate system of Yerusha. So what's going to happen, for example, if a person living with his wife is known to have five kids and he leaves an estate, five million dollars. Let's just, for the matter of simplicity, every kid got a million dollars. Then comes along a stranger who no one ever knew and he takes his ancestry test and he discovers that the person who passed away was his father. Here we got a real problem. Could be for the laws of Yerusha, we do rely on it, and he has a right to the Yerusha. I wanted to share something. It happened to me in Brazil, but it was a very difficult the moment. I was I was very young, and I'm still very young for this. That there was a family that we were close to, that Nebuchadnezzar was a passing. It was actually a, a tragic, because, tragic meaning the person was not even 70. He was a relatively young person. He got cancer. Very wealthy person. The kids are sitting shiva during shiva, walks in a woman and the woman says that she was the, the, the one who passed away. She had another family with him. Khamenei people that I live immorally, this happens very common in Brazil. There's not a name for that. Can you imagine? Children sitting shiva and in here there's a woman that comes in saying that, 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 that their father had a whole other family. Fregnished. It was, very, it was a very difficult moment. It was very tense. But these are halachic questions. So, yeah, I'm not giving you a foolproof answer, but I, I, I want to say it like this. That there is a halachic concept. Generally, up until even now, the determination of are you Jewish or not, with many other details, has to do with testimonies. Testimonies would mean, I'm giving you practically what happens today. If someone was present by my parents' as chuppah, if there's a physical person that was present, he's a valid aid to say that my parents were Jewish. Because the rabbi that married my parents was only allowed to marry my parents if he knew someone that knew my father's parents and my mother's parents. Which is why after the World Second World War, all of this was terribly disrupted. Terribly disrupted. We have a very hard time going beyond the Second World War. And therefore, listen to these halachic words. If in the Emes, 20 generations ago, two Goyim got married. Not the father is Jewish, not the mother is Jewish. And for whatever crazy reason, they decided to raise their children as Jews. They moved to a village. They grew a beard. She put on a shetel. They're Jewish. They spoke Yiddish. And that family became assimilated into the Jewish people when the Amos is their Goyim. No one ever did a conversion. You know what the Halacha is? Once they assimilated into the Jewish people, unless you can halachically prove that way up there there were Goyim, they have a halachic din of a yid, bonafide Jews. And the same thing is in the reverse. If you have which happened which we know happened a lot, if a Jewish family assimilates. So let's say in the north of Brazil where the, where the people running away from the Inquisition they ran, they ran to the north of Brazil. and they married each other, they married each other. But for many, many, many generations, they live amongst the Goyim. Could very well be that mamish for the last three or four hundred years, this child, his parents, and their parents, all, not the mother, the mother and the father, doesn't matter. If they cannot prove it, if they are assimilated amongst the Goyim, halakhically, we presume that they are Goyim until it's proven otherwise. The greatest example are the Falashian Jews, many people are familiar with. They claimed that they always married each other. And they come from the Jewish people and there's no one debating that they come from the Jewish people. But since there is no halachic way of verifying that because it's too many generations back, we're talking about 2,500 years, Kievan, that's it. They are presumed halachically as not Jews. At least so paskin, all of the Ashkenazic halachic authorities with all of the terrible machlokes um, that this caused and the bad feelings that it caused, etc., etc. So when Mashiach will come, there's going to be The Rambam says, a prophet getting up, he's going to initiate a genealogical uh, investigation to halachically determine who's Jewish and who's not. It's not just that. Who's a Koyen, who's a Levi, who's a Yisrael, who's a Mamzer, who's not a Mamzer, and many other details that is not not relevant to our Mashiach series. It's a fascinating other topic about Jewish genealogy. genealogy. Yichus, Yuchsen. The good thing coming back when a Rav marries someone, I know as technology is getting better, communication is getting better, there are certain butte dinim in the world that are very good in determining halachically whether someone is a Jew or not. And what's highly advisable to peoples like myself who are not experts, to consult with them. To consult with them. Now some cases are relatively easy. If you have a ksuba, having a ksuba is also good enough, but you don't always have that. Or when you see a ksuba, you don't know who the rabbi was. You don't know whether you can rely on the rabbi or not. So we have to get better at doing our birur yuchsin before we marry anyone. And I'm speaking about rabbi marrying two members of their community who are with him for many years, who are completely frum and chassidish. Still, when it comes to doing a wedding, you have to have whom to rely upon. You have to do a birur so that will be one part of either the messianic era or something that will happen immediately prior. I keep on emphasizing the immediately prior because maybe I am saying this as a maybe. This process already began because of the outreach that's going on in the world, and because of the fact that basically everyone that gets married now undergoes this birur, at least generally, whether they yidden or not. And even more specifically, if someone is a kohen, don't think they're going to write in the ksuba by the marriage. By the marriage, kohen that quick. No, they're going to make a halachic investigation, and, how, and there's many details halachically whether you can determine or not the person. I know that the, the, all of these uh, ancestry um, genes are not used at all when it comes to kahuna. even though you know people in the outreach say, "Wow, they you know they found the kohen gene." It's a very vague. A misleading statement. There is something there, but nothing near enough of a halachic proof to determine whether someone is a kohen or not. Okay, so that's number one. Number two that Moshiach will do is, so in other words, straightening out the Jewish people is a halachic term. Straightening out means to determine whether you're Jewish or not. No one should, if, 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 no one should be afraid that, oh, maybe 30 generations back or 20 or even 10 generations back, the ancestors were not Jewish. Don't don't be halachically you're Jewish. Once you're mixed in the Jewish community, you're Jewish. But 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 if in the last three or four generations there was a there was a yichus issue and that halachically could be discovered, it will be discovered in this era. And they're going to discover both ways. Some people that think are Jewish will be told they're not Jewish, and vice versa. If people can be discovered to be Jewish, even though they don't even know it themselves, if it can be halachically discovered. So this is something that happens also a lot in Chabad houses. A person discovers that his mother's mother's mother was Jewish. Further than that, it's hard to go. And there are ways of determining that. Halachic ways. We, by the way, we rely on government documentation. So we take, we'll take a passport. I know in passports, in some passports, it writes your parents' name. So if you have a document that shows that you are the son or the daughter of that woman, we'll go to the mothers. And then the mother has a document that says who her mother was. And then you go back and then you find the Hebrew Kadisha that tells you that in Europe and this and this place, that is where this woman is buried. And the date of birth and the date of passing matches as it says in documentation. I'm just giving you an example. That's a way to do a birur of yechus. And then you'll determine that that person don't, doesn't even need to have a conversion. Obviously, if a person just says, oh, my mother's mother's mother was Jewish, halachically, it doesn't mean you're Jewish yet. It means it's something that we need to investigate. But we don't rely on that at all. It's just a justification to make a, 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 a birur, a investigation. And many, many, many other beautiful details. So that's step number one. Step number two is that Moshiach is coming here to prepare our hearts. Which Not Moshiach, I'm sorry, the prophet. That this prophet is going to announce, my friends, Moshiach is coming. That's called halachically as Besurat Hagiullah. Besuras with a base for B. Besuras Hageula means that this prophet is going to notify the world Moshiach is coming. That's very important. Because when once you hear from a prophet that Moshiach is coming, people themselves, they make an introspection. And they say, "Oh, I better start living my life that it should be uniform with whatever is going to happen with the times of Mashiach, as we learned in last payrech. In other words, let me let me figure out how to live a more healthily but observant life. Because that's really what the whole Mashiach is here for. Let me get aligned in that ruach. And number three, the war of Goigomagig. And we'll stop here for this week. So mamas, just like we had in the last chapter, a couple of minimums that have to happen, the Yemois Moshiach, I already gave you a heads up, Lefied the way the Rebbe enlightens this whole chapter, will also generally have two eras, the earlier era of the Yemois Moshiach, in which, lav davke, there's going to be miracles. Could be, if we'll merit, doesn't have to be that way. What will minimally happen is, is that the nations of the world will no longer have any power over us. And I'm speaking about Specifically, how we live our lives in the Holy Land. In other words, we will then be a real free nation led by Mashiach, by a religious Jew who is going to implement religious law. And, and you're going to have these three steps in your Mashiach. Moshiach. There's going to be a halachic birur of yichus there's going to be a mindfulness that we are entering the Messianic era. There's going to be the notification that the Gula came, which also implies that the Messianic era can happen before the, the temple is built. Because if the temple is already built, who needs to be notified? We know that Beis HaMikdash is built. And the third is, is there's going to be a war known as the War of Goi G'magek. We have a lot, a lot more which is quite amazing in this chapter. And all of this is important, like we started out today just reviewing, because when a yid says, I believe in the redemption, that's what we believe in. Is I believe that there'll be a time in which these three things are gonna happen. And if I deny any one of these three things, any one of these three things, or if I'm ignorant in it, then I don't then I'm ignorant in my basic faith. I don't know what I believe in. I would want to believe in the emis, I don't know what the emis is. Here we're learning the emis of you might Moisab. Any questions? I have a couple questions. Let's go ahead. Um, first of all, um, I don't really understand the whole thing about when the rabbis speak during a far-brain and it, it contradicts halacha. I don't understand the whole concept. Don't say contradict. I'm not going to use the word contradict halacha. Contradicting halacha means that the Rebbe were to say, um, or God forbid that anyone, were to say, like, don't keep Shabbos. That's what contradicting halacha means. Um, let, let's go back in this context, um, Shoshana, that, that Amman is writing the minimum of what needs to happen. There's going to be a war. Now, if you read the prophecies, this war is going to be a terrible war. Like, many people are going to die in this war. If we will merit, and the Rebbe went with that, we're going to merit. If we're going to merit, not a single Jew is going to die. And there's going to be miracles in that war. The Rebbe also spoke the whole time that when the moment Moshiach comes, big miracles are going to happen. That it, it goes together with that. That Rebbe never said that big miracles cannot happen in the beginning of the Messianic era. That Amam doesn't say that. That Amam is writing to us the minimum what needs to happen. That Rebbe is writing a halacha sefer. The Amman doesn't write anything more than the minimum because to get anything more, we need to merit. We meriting is not something you can legislate because it's up to our freedom of choice. That Rebbe at Tzaddik is inspiring us to see ourselves as greater people than what we are. That we are Tzaddikim. And therefore we merit. And therefore all of these things won't manifest as, as uh, Gashmi Hazdik as it needs to happen if we would not merit. I hope I answered your question. Not halacha, it's an option of what could happen best case scenario if we merit it. Very good, very good warning. It's a best case scenario. And the Rebbe in Fabrengans always spoke best case scenario. And one second, one second, Shoshana. It's important for me as a Chassid to accept that. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't learn the Rambam. The Rebbe said that it's going to be a best case scenario. Okay, it's going to be a best case. The Rebbe says we merit it, we merit it. I'm in, 100%. But we're learning Rambam. It's not a contradiction. The Rebbe is saying the fact is we merit it. But part of my belief in Yamaissa Mashiach is to know that if we would not have merited it, then there's going to be a real war in the Yamaisa Mashiach. Right. Okay, another question is Is the Rebbe a prophet? Oh, the Rebbe clearly said he's a prophet. Could he be that the of Sure. To, we can speak about the Rebbe in a couple of classes from now. But I, but I want you to know, Shoshana, if you're going with that, we'll find out, we'll find If you're going with that, then it's not Moshiach. Okay, I'm just telling you there's, there's different players here. The Rambam is differentiating. There's the Melech Mashiach. According to the Rambam's image, Melech Mashiach is a more down-to-earth person, much more down-to-earth than the Prophet. To be a Prophet is already a great Sadiq. The Ramam says Bar Kokhba could have been, Bar Kokhba was not a tzaddik. Bar Kokhba actually passed away, he lost because he was arrogant. That means he, he was some that, I'm not, God forbid, speaking bad about him. I'm just saying that the Gemara says that he told God, I don't even need your help. He was so mighty and so powerful, he tells God, I got it, don't worry about me. He didn't mean it in a bad way, but a tzaddik would never say that. But a prophet, a prophet would never say that either. No, it's that the, the Rambam's um, minimum belief in Mashiach is Mashiach will be a great warrior. Who's gonna He's gonna be a king. A king means he's gonna be a, a political figure whose goal is that's the important thing whose goal is to bring back the, the Malchus of David, to bring back Yiddishkeit. If we're gonna assume that the Rebbe is Mashiach and he was already here, then should the one who is the Navi have come before? To- Already? So, Daramat, we're gonna read that. Yes, yes, we're gonna read that soon. We're gonna we're gonna in the middle of the series over here. If the Yemaisa Mashiach begins before the coming of Mashiach, then he should have come. Anything could be. It could be the previous Rebbe was the Navi. The previous Rebbe began this whole process. The, pre, the previous Rebbe began with the Shluchim. The previous Rebbe already said Mashiach is coming, and by the way, it was before him also. That Imam is gonna write soon that we don't have to figure this out because we I know it's like stopping in the middle of a haircut. Like we are guys, we are in the middle of a topic. It's just fascinating. So before you put all the pieces together and 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 whether a person should be doing it or whether a person should have certain guidance if they do it, by understanding that this is not of fundamental importance at all. What's well, it it is fundamentally important to believe in everything that Imam is writing which means it's important to believe that there'll be a Melech HaMashiach that will at least do what it says in the last chapter and there's going to be a Yamais Mushiach that minimally this is going to, that's important. That's why we're learning it. All the other... The the are in fact that um, that Nabi who tell us that we are now in the times of Mashiach. so are we officially in the times of Mashiach? Could be. If we are in the times of Mashiach, we are very early on. Let me tell you how early on we are. When the Ramam, we learned today that the sages said that there's no difference between Olam Haza and Yemaisa Mashiach other than Shibud Malchus, there's no way that a person can say that there is no Shibud Malchus. There is Shibud Malchus. The fact that, that the majority of the Jews in America were told by a government, I'm not saying that they were wrong, that you have to shut a shul down. The fact that we are living in a life where nations of the world are determining whether we could or not practice our Yiddishkeit. That means that, with the, that, that this part of Yemaisa Mashiach did not start yet. Very simple. And the last thing, sorry for a million questions, but I've been really bothered lately, really bothered, because I realized that a lot of the most corrupt people in the world are actually Jews. I'm, I'm taking you off the recording.